Tell me a story, Baba. What story, my son? About Mbaku. Welcome back to Once Upon a Time in Wakanda. I'm Tyler. I'm Bo. I'm Aaron. And we are here to talk about everyone's favorite character, M'Baku, also known as Man-Ape. And I know that's how you guys are going to refer to him. You would say that to his face, right? Uh, no. No. no okay. I so. so M'Baku is one of the characters that stole the show. We spoke about Shuri in the last episode, but M'Baku is the character that everyone is talking about for his scene-stealing lines and his humor. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because all of us were talking about this and the idea of them using this character, knowing that his history is man-ape. Let's talk about how problematic that is, okay? What were you expecting, Aaron? You heard man-ape is going to be in this and he was going to change his name. But how problematic were you expecting this to be? I was nervous, to be honest. I'm thinking, mm. like, if, if they go the man-ape route, you know, using that moniker specifically. Oh, the movie's canceled. Man, like... <laughs> like it's canceled. Like, y'all better be careful it's now. Like, like. It's like, if you think about it, one decision could, like, tank a movie. Yo. And if they made one decision, they just simply said, hey, we're going to call M'Baku man-ape, it's over. Over. Like, we're not even having this conversation right now. Right. Yeah. It's once upon a time in, I don't know, Jakku <laughs> or something. <laughs> Because I think, and you guys, you know, we Tyler, can go back to Jakku. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, you're you're the sports. We know we know Bo's not the sports guy, but I, I was trying to think of um, like one of the last uh, public controversies concerning oh that goodness. whole dynamic, and LeBron, LeBron, LeBron on the cover, cover of was that GQ? It was it was GQ Esquire, one of those two, one and, of them, and he is basically in kind of a screaming position next to like a white woman. And so it kind of holds this like King Kong mentality because he's so, so much bigger and he's screaming. And so it's almost like a gorilla, like expressing himself and dominance over this woman, which is awful optics. And most people, honestly, if you're, if you're unaware of the history and you don't have connection to kind of these, dehumanizing stereotypes about African-American people, you wouldn't even know that it was an issue. Vogue. 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 Okay. Wow. Now, it's it's crazy. And so that the, the stereotypes historically have been that black people have monkey-like characteristics, animalistic mm-hmm. characteristics. And it's seen as a, a highly problematic stereotype. And so when you saw Man-Ape was going to be in the film, I mean, you thought, Number one, who at Marvel okayed the name historically? (laughs) We need to find out. And number two, how are they going to redeem this character, which leads to the title of the episode, Redemptive Retconning, Bo? What is retconning? Break it down. So retconning is a uh, a, a well-known term in kind of geek and nerd culture. It's it's a short of retroactive continuity. Uh, That's the idea that we told a story. But now we've got a better story, but we want to try to keep the old story or keep aspects of it. So we're going to retell that story or we're going to add some new history into the mix that maybe did not exist before, but fits in the context of the story that we're telling now. Uh, So, yeah. So, um, M'Baku. I'm curious, actually, uh, Tyler, when you first heard that M'Baku was going to be in the movie, 
What was your what was your reaction to that? Well, I I knew that they had to in, involve Mbaku because of the tension within the comics of the Jabari tribe. Right. So I figured there would be some inclusion of the Jabari, but I I expected that they would completely remove Mbaku from the from the equation, which is he's a massive character in the comics. And he's very important, and so I figured that they would remove him from the equation and substitute someone else to be the leader of the Jabari. And for those of you who don't know, the Jabari tribe is basically ostracized from the rest of Wakanda and the other tribes based upon their refusal to use vibranium. Yeah. So they refuse to use vibranium, and they believe that the technological advancements of Wakanda have actually weakened the country's heritage and history, which is why M'Baku, in the scene of ritualistic combat, references the, the technology, references the fact that Shuri has taken over it. And they also worship a different God. Mm. So they worship Hanuman. And so the idea that the Panther God is Bast is kind of highlighted in the scene when you probably missed it because he was yelling, but Umbaku is fighting T'Challa and says, where is your God now? Mm. Which is very odd considering why in the world would he be talking about gods if we all worship the same? And the reality is they don't. Hmm. They worship different gods, which gets into kind of this African spirituality of of the situation. And so him saying that, and then when T'Challa is revived, him saying glory to Hanuman, right, is again a difference. Kind of this this weird uh, pluralism, religious pluralism right, right, within right. that context. And so Mbaku leads the Jabari. And in the comics, he takes a very adversarial role. In this movie... He's kind of an ally to T'Challa. To, to, to yeah, I mean, let, let, let's dive in a little bit to, to who this character is in, in, in the terms of comics. Actually, my first introduction to M'Baku was uh, relatively recently in alternative media, specifically in a cartoon series that came out called uh, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Hmm. And uh, great, great. Uh, a little uh, animated series. I think it maybe only lasted two seasons. But they didn't redeem it. Well, they that didn't. That boy was man-ape, wasn't so, he? So, so the series as a whole, I really do strongly ch- recommend people nah, check it out. it's canceled, bro. It's canceled. It is canceled. But they did not redeem uh, Umbaku at all. In fact, not only does he uh, uh, you know, appear on the scene utilizing the, the name man-ape, he is actually in the full gear so he is actually wearing <laughs> the skin of this big white gorilla his, your whole team his head is coming through the mouth of this like wow. gaping nah, open bro. thing it's nah. it's wow. it's one of these things that i remember seeing it thinking like really and this is two years ago like like this is this is recent it's like really man on a cartoon show so it this is even no, showing kids, and it, it ain't a, even no excuse. And it was a big deal because, of course, this was uh, the storyline that introduced Black Panther to the Avengers, and uh, ultimately made him mm-hmm. an Avenger and everything. And even the way in which the story is told, now it is kind of the classic uh, use of the character Umbaku in the cartoon series, much like he does in the comics, comes in and, in a similar fashion to how we saw uh, what we saw in the film, challenges T'Chaka or T'Challa for for leadership of Wakanda, but in the comics. As with the cartoon, but not in the film, Umbaku actually wins. Yes. Okay, so this is the thing about T'Challa is that brother gets beat a lot. Okay? <laughs> so he not only gets beat by Umbaku in the comics, but he gets beat by Killmonger. Killmonger bests him. And it's just really strange. I don't think he ever beats Killmonger one-on-one in the comics. I'm pretty sure he never beats him one-on-one. 
I, I think hmm. he always needs help or something, you know. But in ritualistic combat, Killmonger always wins, which is crazy because Black Panther T'Challa has the the heart shaped herb enhancement. So all these things, and, and Umbaku is considered by people to to be in the country of Wakanda the second greatest warrior, next to T'Challa. So Umbaku has great power, great influence, and he got that power through his spiritual means. So he goes and kills one of the rare white gorillas and reestablishes the white gorilla cult. And he bathes in the gorilla's blood and eats the flesh, like a very ritualistic, spiritual, mystic practice, which is disgusting. But he gets the power (laughs) of the gorilla by eating the flesh. And so when you see that the Jabari have such a rich history in and of themselves, isn't it really interesting how the movie takes the Jabari and uses them as devices to preserve Wakanda. It's a real retcon because as you see Mbaku, you're like, man, this dude should take the throne if T'Challa's not here. And I bet you he probably would in the Mm. comics. We know in the comics he would. So it's kind of weird that they're like, oh, well, one of my guys was fishing and he saw him, he saved him. And, you know, we just kept him on ice for y'all. What? <laughs> like, why would he do that? You know, it was yeah. just a weird choice to me. It was funny too, like the way that in which he he's just kind of leaning on his staff, like, no, if you take him out, he's gonna die. Like, he's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? But I think what makes Mbaku the character that he is outside of the humor is the way that Winston Duke as an actor portrays mm. Mbaku's honor. Yes. And so, at the beginning of the film, in the ritualistic combat. T'Challa faces off with M'Baku and has the opportunity to kill him, but instead forces him to yield. When you saw that scene, did you see eventually M'Baku returning the favor or was that still a surprise for you? It was still a surprise uh, because when when M'Baku comes on the scene for the ritual combat, his grievance is genuine. You know, and so like, for instance, you mentioned the differences in deity um, and, and and culture, but there's also a very deep difference in philosophy that has to do with like this, yes. this intergenerational tension, yes. right? Where, where it's like you, you're, you guys are moving so fast that you're becoming disconnected from that, which made us distinct and great in the first place. Mm. And so M'Baku's grievance is, is, is actually a, a genuine, he, he, one, he, he's, he's motivated by it. And, um, um, and so, and then I also kind of picked up too. Honestly, there's like this um, this hint of oh, you, and you think we're inferior. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Like when he says, eventually, when he says, "Never once have you, never once has a Wakandan king." Yes. Come to visit centuries. us here. Yes. You know, or, yeah, yeah. It's been centuries since that's happened. So it's like, oh, and and we, we, who is we? And you know, honestly, man. <laughs> what this kind of reminds me of personally is the whole like like be it being a southern country boy dude all right wow yes. you know what i'm saying yes. build on that build on that because that's what I'm so saying? very important so so there is there is still even still this this notion that you know if you're southern you know you're you're a country boy then somehow you're behind the times like so for instance mm. just even within my family right my family, uh, going back, uh, decades was a part of the great African American migration west hmm. to Southern California, 
LA, Long Beach, and even in uh, some places in the toward the Bay Area, right? Oakland, Oakland. Yeah, no, yeah. Just, <laughs> you were and part I remember, yeah, yeah. exchange. <laughs> like that's your family. Oh, okay, okay. And I remember interacting with them, mm. and and what the, what they whenever they came to visit, there would just kind of be this 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 little tone of you know we're you know we're more advanced than y'all. Uh-huh. We're, we're we're a little better mm. than y'all. Oh y'all oh y'all don't have this. Y'all don't have that. You know. And then as you get older, there's like this defiance that comes along with it because you get you know you just kind of get tired of that and so that particular aspect of Mbaku's um dialogue specifically with T'Challa and that that chip that seems to yeah, be yeah. on his shoulder so man that that resonated with me deeply yeah man. Wakanda is uh, as New York City DC but Mississippi's up in the mountain back there yeah yes yeah, yeah. yes yo that is so fascinating and, and I think especially in how people view Pensacola. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, well, no, no, no. People are like, that, ah, you know, Pensacola, we're not going to Pensacola. Anyway, no, no, no. In all yeah, fairness, to, people don't view city. Pensacola that way because people don't, nobody views Pensacola. They don't like, know America's for settlement. Like, they just, it's like. Oldest, oldest in North American history. They, they have no idea. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. so, <laughs> as, but as we think about M'Baku, it, it's crazy to see how he's a picture of honor. And I wanted to contrast M'Baku and Daniel Kaluuya's character, mm. Wakabi. And the, the, the picture of honor and the picture of dishonor. The picture of an unlikely ally and the picture of a friend turned foe. Mm. How do you see those two characters contrasted, especially in the climactic battle sequence where they're on opposing sides? And if you take the beginning of the movie, you would have never thought they would have switched yeah. to, to being on the sides that they are. I think, simply put, one is principled, and the other turns out to be opportunistic. Whoo! Talk about that. And isn't that funny because they offer Waka- they offer Mbaku the heart shaper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so it's almost like so. So, forgive me, Bo. I'm going to use a sports analogy. Okay, <laughs> here we go. But it's right. almost like the beef that folks had with Kevin Durant when he signed with Golden State, right? Oh wait, that's the goat guy, right? No, no, it's not the goat. No, it's not the goat guy. Okay, for the guy. record, can I just it's say? Spider guy, can I just Durantula. say Michael Jeffrey Jordan? That's that's go. Anyway, let's move on. So, um, bros, people clicked off this podcast. Right? Yeah. So, so, <laughs> no. But and, and what I mean by that is so so with him being opportunistic, you know, Killmonger shows up and it's like, man, I, I'm just I want to be on the winning team. Hmm. Like, like who's winning? And, and 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 I know that's probably an oversimplification, but I know. But in the end, and I know there is some, there is some, there is some, you know, there is some tension there. But in the end, he he forsook his principles for you know for for opportunity. I felt. I agree. While Mbaku remained true to his principles, and in the end, that served to just display the redemptive nature of the character. What do you think? Well, Kabi ends up being somewhat of a forgettable character honestly because he's not in the okay movies. so so he Bo has this thing about Daniel Kaluuya's character to begin with that <laughs> we were talking about before the pod and and Bo believes that Daniel Kaluuya is uh, is not maybe the the best actor for this particular role well, no and I didn't say that I did I'm not entirely impressed with what he brought to the table but I, I think that the role itself kind of served to facilitate the plot line and didn't necessarily like, like that he, he wasn't a fully rounded character. Hmm. So I don't know how much of an hmm. opportunist he really was because, and I don't know how let, let less least 
I don't know how little principles he had because they really didn't spend the time rounding that character out. Right. He he kind of created an interesting situation for T'Challa with, uh, you know, the the hey, you know, go get this guy, go kill him, and T'Challa's like, uh, you know, I'll I'll bring him back. It's like, yeah, dead or alive. Like, oh, we'll bring him back. I promise. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. So he kind of gives him an ultimatum to begin with. Right. Like, you gonna kill him, right? Right. It's like what? <laughs> and you do you do see kind of that that friendly nature to him, and and it's it's during the period of the movie where they're exploring the idea of that Wakanda has a conversation going on within uh, its borders, right? Like what, what is Wakanda to the rest of the world? What is the rest of the world to Wakanda? And what is Wakanda to Wakanda? So we see that in Umbaku. We see that in uh, Nakia. We also see that, um, you know, with, you know, to some extent we see that with Shuri and then we actually, and then we, we kind of see it with uh, uh, Wakabi as he's saying like, look, you know, he, it's, it's almost like, and again, this is where I don't think the character was used very well. Cause it's almost like, oh, Hey, here's my two cents. And here's an alternative argument to everything else that's come before. Mm. Like, oh no, I, I don't believe in, in taking in these refugees. I don't, I don't believe in, you know, us opening up our borders, but at the same time, if you want to go out and, you know, uh, enact a little uh, justice and, and kind of, you know, enact our will on the world. Uh, I'm yeah. George W. Wakabi here ready to do it wow. for you. <laughs> Oh, 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 weapons? Do they really got weapons of mass destruction? <laughs> I was oh, getting no. ready to say something. And then I got, oh, yeah, that was a delayed reaction. It was one of those body punches. you like, oh, okay. a delayed charge there. <laughs> a delayed fuse. So, so anyway, the point is that he's got a, he's got his own vision for how he feels Wakanda should be, should be run and what its role should be in the rest of the world. And so I, I, He's opportunistic in the sense that now is an opportunity to make it happen, but I don't think he just wants to be in on the winning side. I do think to some extent he believes in his actions, but again, that character didn't have much to work with. On the contrary, Umbaku did, despite the fact that I think we probably got less scenes with him than we did with Wakabi, right? Right. And I think that goes to the the actor Mm. making those scenes. Yes. Because we have to talk about the humor and the humor was perfect. Even even the beginning, his opening entrance, we have watched and listened from the mountains (laughs) and him coming in and commanded and him taunting T'Challa. Like, if you think about it, he's taunting. He couldn't even keep his own father. (laughs) And like, yo, he looks down on T'Challa and you kind of sit back, you're like, yo, but yo, he might be the dude, like low key, (laughs) give him the herb. I mean, he might be the dude. Because he comes in and he commands a presence. Yo, it's challenge day, right? I'm here. Yeah. Mm. And then, of course, his he never seems to be out of place in front of anyone. He never acquiesces to anyone. Because he, he is, is as much he is as much a a leader. I mean, so there's a little bit of a, a, a question there. Like, can I make a Game of Thrones reference? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. so so what's Game of Thrones? Okay, good good okay. job, Pastor. Good job. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. All right, so so go ahead. we rock. We rock. <laughs> we rock. I'm with you. So so in the world of Game of Thrones, uh-huh. there's this land of Westeros, right? And the idea is that in Westeros there are all these different areas and regions controlled by these different families, but there is a king, right? There okay. is a leader of all Westeros. Now at the same time, up in the north. They also have the warden of the north. Now, the north has a warden as opposed to just someone, a family that's leading that because of the way in which the nation itself was established. The northern kings did not want to acquiesce to this new conquering king. And so they, they came up with this compromise 
because dragons and everything, it's it's a whole deal. But they came up with this compromise. Dragons. Lots of dragons. Lots of dragons. <laughs> they came up with this compromise. So so the the North has a warden who is to some extent a king even before the events of the series begin. Now he's not a king necessarily in title, but definitely commands the same kind of respect and relationship of almost camaraderie with the standing king at that same time. Or I, at least I got the sense from their interaction that Umbaku sees himself at that same level that T'Challa is at, right? At least definitely yes. when he's on his own mm-hmm. throne, but but even even when he's standing on, on challenge day. Yeah, and, and I think even after he was defeated, when he's sitting on his throne, you kind of get the sense because of, and again, we have to talk about cinematography, costume, everything. Oh, yeah. The way in which they lined the throne room. What was that? I, I, I don't know what... It, it felt like I don't know. Dude, what, he looked like he was on tusks a, or yeah. something. I, I don't know. It was just it was very distinct, and you almost felt like I saw him in that moment as oh this this dude could be king. Like I saw him in that moment, even though he T'Challa had beaten him. I'm like okay, well yeah, give this dude the earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> he good. Yeah, and he was woofing down Agent Ross. I'm like for sure, give him the earth. <laughs> you know, and then he he makes that phenomenal joke. You know, I'll feed you to my children. It's like, nah, we're, we're vegetarians. vegetarians. Which is hilarious because he ate the flesh of the gorilla. <laughs> so it's like, yo, but no, you not, though, because that's how you got all the strength you have. Right, right, right. All right, so wait, well, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, because, because in the you comics- think in the, you, But you, do you think the film version? I thought that was kind of almost like a nod to the fact that this is a different Umbaku from what well, we've come to know maybe, in the Maybe, but, but what I'm saying is it's hilarious knowing the fact of the comics, that in the comics, right, right, right. he eats the flesh and bathes in the blood to know that he did this carnivorous right, right, right. And now he's saying he's vegetarian. So it's probably the same thing as we saw with Shuri. That's right, yeah. In, mm-hmm. in the challenge day. This film is so layered, bro. Look, can I just like, say this that This film is was, so layered. That moment was genius, though, right? Because there is so much tension. You don't know how it's going to work out. You've yet to discover that T'Challa is yet alive, right? Mm-hmm. They're going before him, and they know that they have to eat crow in a manner of speaking, yeah. right? They have to and, bow. And they have to bow. They have mm. to kneel before him. And the way he commands that whole scene. And so what he does is, that's genius, is that being so secure in his person, just being this character that just commands the whole room, he creates a moment of higher tension, and then he diffuses it himself with the humor. Mm. Yeah, and you just don't. And, and none like, of his I did people not, laugh. Yeah. None of his people laugh. He's the only yeah. one who laughs. He laughs. And, and, I, and I just, I didn't see that coming. Like when he said that, you know, I'm gonna feed you. You know, I'm thinking, like, oh snap, the kids go, go down, you know, bro. Shut up, man. Stop talking. You, know what I'm like, like, yo. you out. And then the way he does it, I was like, man, that's genius because mm-hmm. it's, it's like, it's like the perfect kind of, uh, you know, cinematic curveball that you throw yeah. an audience that they're expecting one trajectory that mm-hmm. they're just ready to swing at, and then all of a sudden. But it breaks in another direction. But the humor meant something in this film. And that's different than other films. You know, and there's been this big idea of bathos, right? <laughs> so the humor, the humor meant something, and they didn't downplay the dramatic moments with like cheap humor. Hmm. It was actually funny. When when you say bathos, uh, I know what you mean, but but unpack that a sure. little bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the idea is that bathos is this concept of undercutting the drama of a moment with humor and so i think and it's like the marvel go-to yeah, it's the marvel go-to so you see in guardians of the galaxy 2 there's the 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 huge moment where they're all gathered they're fighting 
uh, <laughs> they're fighting the villain. They're fighting well, ego. ego. They're fighting ego, the planet, and it's the hero. And so they're they're basically recreating the Avengers uh-huh. scene where the Avengers are are in New York and they're they're circling mm-hmm. each it's other. The, it's the hero poster moment. The hero poster yeah, moment, yeah. and then um, what's her name gets Mantis. hit by yeah Mantis gets hit by you know the asteroid <laughs> and then and then Drax like look out. But- now that moment was a moment, and and I think it kind of works a little bit more in Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure, in that context, yeah, in that context because it's a silly context. But if you think about it, you're fighting a planet who was Star Lord's father. I mean, you're fighting him, and it's serious. Someone is eventually dies, and it's like you have this moment of camaraderie and drama, and you undercut it with humor. And it's kind of like that's the Marvel go-to. Another one that has been prominently displayed is when Doctor Strange puts on the cape, and he's got like this blood or something on his face, and he has that moment where the music rises and he puts on the cape and he flicks the collar and then the 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 cape who's animated like wipes his face and tries to like pick at it and it undercuts the moment where the hero figures out who they are right and says this is who i am i'm strong i'm capable this is my purpose and then it undercuts it with the humor because they don't want it to be too cheesy yeah black panther completely goes the opposite and one scene that i saw that was very much like that was when t'challa was fighting mbaku and something that could have been overdone. And I think in some senses, Chadwick overdoes it. But I think it makes it um, kind of endearing. When his mother, he's leaned back and Umbaku is basically breaking his bones. And he leans back and his mother says, show him who you are. Which was powerful. But then T'Challa comes back and almost like screams, I am Prince T'Challa, son of T'Chaka. <laughs> and, and, and then he screams, ah! And normally you're like, oh man, that's cheesy. But it meant something. No, it was a yeah. gladiator moment. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, the way he did it, it you normally say, ah, If he yeah. had pushed it beyond what he did, then I could see how that could come across as cheesy. But but he he confirmed, it was his identity mm-hmm. being confirmed at that moment. Absolutely. And they didn't undercut that with a the joke. They weren't like, you know, and M'Baku wasn't like, hmm, what do you mean? You know? <laughs> <laughs> which is what which is what would have happened. You know, which is what would have right. happened in other films, uh-huh. in other Marvel films. And so Black Panther runs from that and makes everything so much more meaningful when when they actually do use the humor and it doesn't yeah. undercut the drama of the moment. That's a great point. So I'm curious. I mean, we've seen uh comic books when it comes to Character diversity throughout the 60s uh, doesn't necessarily have the best track record. Like even in, <laughs> yeah, even in like um, you know, the modern uh, modern characters that we're seeing, not not just Black Panther. I think two of uh, Luke Cage, who was a character that was uh, brought to life on Netflix uh, here recently. Tyler's favorite. Yeah, oh, got the bulletproof hoodie. And yeah. <laughs> Everybody got a gun. Nobody got a father. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For the record, Tyler is not a fan of, of the new, the Netflix yeah, interpretation. I'm going to oh, give you a lecture my. and I'm a, a reader and Here I fight go. bad guys. and I'm a Here bouncer and I'm a Casanova. And However, okay, I'm done. so what, what the, uh, thank you for that. Uh, what, what, that <laughs> what the, the challenge of, of that, that Netflix series is it took on a lot of characters with, not exactly the best represent, representation in their original Great point. status. Yes. So Cotton I'm kind of mouth diamond back. Yeah. So with these characters and, and kind of what we're seeing, is it okay to take some of these questionably or these characters with questionable origins 
and redeem them in this way. Like it, mm-hmm. it's it's easy to look at you know what was done with Cottonmouth is a great example of, of a of a great character. Uh, Umbaku is obviously at the at the moment the gold standard, but I mean like does this give green light to Hollywood studios to start mining that era mm-hmm. of? Uh, maybe not necessarily the best interpretations of of characters of color, and start bringing them to to the spotlight. Well, I think that the style back then was much more, and Luke Cage kind of reflects this. I think even more than Black Panther, but the black exploitation kind of era. And yeah. I think you have to be so careful with that because there are ways in which it's done very well. But then I think now as we're exploring black complexity and positive portrayals of, of African-American people and Africans and the diaspora, I think now there's more of a, a showing of royalty and more of a showing of um, impressive technological capability and complexity. And those types of things are, are the word. And I think those types of things are, are in kind of the cultural zeitgeist as it relates to black representation. But as you talk about black exploitation, I think that's a very 70s concept that I think if you try to recreate it, I mean, you know, undercover brother, you know, like that type of that type of representation yeah. now is kind of seen. And I think that might have been why, you know, not to go on a tangent, but I think that might have been why I kind of resisted Luke Cage, because in some ways it touches on parts of that in a way that attempts to redeem it. And I feel like it, it just didn't sit right with me. And it may just be me. Like, I, I'm not saying it's it's them. It may just be me. But I think it's a risky choice nowadays. And I think instead of portraying M'Baku in that way, I think they redeem him to be something more. And, and so what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Speaking specifically, you know, you brought up uh, the black exploitation era. There was just such a... There was just such a cultural dynamic that was that was at work at that point and and even perspectives and like um like the way some of the characters were portrayed a lot of times it was like about the neighborhood or yeah, like an immediate yeah. area and things like that and also the the what were um artistic representations of of like black ideal or black ideal from a perspective uh, from a specific perspective you know what i'm saying and the way those characters were represented that i do you i believe you do have to be very careful and trying to go back and 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 be very mindful how you handle that in, in terms of which character you might t- want to take in and and redeem because even though i don't share uh your uh <laughs> you like Luke Cage? You're, you're, it's fine. I'm not your gonna, outward animus, you know, animosity toward you. toward Luke Cage. I'm not gonna make fun of you, brother. I, I get it, but there was there was a part of me that's like, well, I kind of understand. Like you, I, I see what they're doing. You, you right. know, you know what I'm saying. And and um and at times it did feel like uh doing too much. Mm-hmm. It yeah. did feel like doing too much. Like you know, but but definitely with Mbaku, you don't you don't get that. I didn't get that feeling yeah, like well, it, at all it makes it makes his his arc more redemptive because he has the same convictions but instead of and this is kind of the contrast the reason why I brought up Wakabi is Wakabi lets history turn him because the history of Claw killing his parents yeah or killing his father the history poisons him because when Killmonger bring what he wants so bad is to right that wrong right that historic mm-hmm. wrong and so when Killmonger brings Claw to him, it turns him. And it's like, oh, well, T'Challa couldn't bring him, slip through our fingers. Oh, well, it's more of the same. And Killmonger comes 
and represents, oh, well, I'll, I'll right the wrongs of the past. Mm. And much in the opposite way, M'Baku decides not to allow the wrongs of the past to poison him against helping T'Challa oh, because it's the right thing it's to do. It's a little Anakin-esque in yeah, there. Yes, so it's like a historical... <laughs> Both of them are like one allows history to turn him, and the other doesn't allow history to turn him, which is Dude, crazy to think about. That's yeah. a that's a that's a meta narrative in and of itself, given the character and and it's and his origin story. That's that's crazy. It is, and so his passion for the Jabari tribe and for a different god, he puts all of that aside to do what's right. Yeah, yeah. and Wakabi couldn't be expected. He he didn't do it. All right, so so you are Wakandan. And Jabari. Correct. I am. And you are looking, you're up on your know. mountain. Yes, I am. Thank I you. Oh, you're up on your mountain and you're seeing like this, like you're seeing spaceships flying in and out of your neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so crazy, right? The best, like, like they, they went full on with this. Cause I mean, when you think about it, the first time, the first time that we see Wakanda in the Marvel cinematic universe is a hospital setting. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, Winter Soldier being put into kind of like the stasis right. lock type deal. And then you see the Panther. Right, right, right. So so but that that medical situation, right? So when we actually explore the mountain, Umbaku's territory, we see his throne room, which is daunting. And actually the first I mean, it's hard not to look at even just screenshots and not think that looks like a spaceship, even though it's all organic. Yeah. Right. Like the way that it's set right. up. So it's still right. very Wakandan in design, even though it's not vibranium in tech. But then we go down to their medical facility and it's a pile of snow. <laughs> like right. you know what I mean? Like so so whereas, you know, over next door, your neighbors have the cure for cancer, you got a pile of snow. Hmm. Like, that's some serious conviction. To go hardcore, yeah. pulling out, and I mean, like almost Amish approach. I mean, like, I yeah. yeah. So it's a margin within the margin. So if Wakanda is a margin, like the Jabari are are marginalized even within that context, right? And they choose to be. So, so here's the here. I guess here's my question. So Mbaku comes in to challenge T'Challa at the beginning. Sure. Let's say he wins. Mm-hmm. Why on earth? Like this? Like is he gonna have? Wakandans disassemble their cities. Like he can't get rid of the vibranium underneath it. Is he going to outlaw technology? Like, what is it? Like he, he seemed pretty comfortable up in his throne room. I mean, I, I, I get it. It's cold, but you know, I don't think it was the technological advance, but that, that he saw as the threat as much as I'm inclined to argue that it had to do with purity. Right. Yeah. 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 Come so on. It's the whole argument that it's, it's not necessarily that I reject your advancement and that I, I, I reject your progression, but we cannot have technological advancement at the cost of our purity as a people and the purity of our ideals. Right. And so that's, that's kind of what I got from, from his character that he wasn't trying to keep it. He wasn't trying to keep things archaic. He wasn't trying to hinder progress, but him seeing that, or just even maybe in his perception, him seeing that that progress was a forsaking of principles and and purity. I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of, that's kind of the thing there. So I don't know if he would have necessarily removed those. Okay. Things, so that makes sense. Right. Cause even, even like with that argument, he's still staying within Wakandan borders, right? Like he's right. still hanging on to that. You know, he, he still gets that defense of, of being within the, you know, the, the covering of, of uh, being separated from the outside world and yet not necessarily indulging in the technology himself. Yeah. And I think he would probably, I think number one, he wanted to reintroduce the Jabari tribe. 
to Wakanda. And Man. and I think when you saw the the way in which I think the Jabari seem like the type of people who like striking fear in 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 the eyes of of everyone that they encounter, which is why he strategically says witness the might of the Jabari firsthand. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And so when he comes on the scene to challenge T'Challa, Zuri has this look like, what are you doing here? And it's fear in his eyes because he knows their capability. And I, I feel like M'Baku fought, the reason why T'Challa said you fought with honor, yield, you fought with honor, because you represented the Jabari well in the sense of you reintroduced them into the structure of the commerce, everything, into the decisions, because normally the Jabari wouldn't even be there for the coronation of a new king. That's right. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? So he introduces Jabari culture back into the zeitgeist of Wakanda. And as you see that, he did something that was honorable. And so even if he didn't win, I don't think it was about winning. I think it was about proving to people that the Jabari was still viable. And if he could push T'Challa to his limit, even if he didn't get it, that's why it was it was honored. You didn't have to let me live. A life for a life. But we're gonna stay where we are. You know that we're here. We'll stay where we are. You know? And so I yeah. think I think I think that was primarily the point. And I think he thinks technology will corrupt them, which is a very African, you know, some of the some of the African tribes would think the same thing, that technology would corrupt us instead of being just hunters and as the Jabari are fishermen and instead of kind of letting things play out and drawing strength and energy from the grounds or from the universe and having that mystic idea, that spiritual idea of being connected to everything, you're introducing foreign substances, you know, creating yeah. weapons and doing all these things. And I think it's really interesting as well that in Man Ape's arc, he becomes a henchman for Grim Reaper. And and I'd love to talk about why he leaves Grim Reaper, right. you know. Funny thing about villains, they're villainous. And uh, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, Shock, and, I know. I know, I know. And to be uh, an African supervillain rolling around with white American villains, you may run into a little racism sometimes. Yes. Or a lot of racism in the form of Grim Reaper. And so, yeah, they actually teamed up against... Um, I forget who it is. Oh. I can't remember who it is. Heroes for Hire, I think. I, I could be wrong. It probably was Heroes for Hire. But I because think- there was another one. It was him and Black Talon or something like that. That Somebody, sounds right. Yeah. So the idea is, of course, from time to time, the villains team up to be more effective. And 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 you get a, a nice little supervillain crew. And unlike you know the Avengers or, or the heroic team, although it would be interesting to explore a dynamic of, of a hero team dealing with racism within its own team. That would be great. Yeah. Actually, you DC know? touched on I mean, that's DC touched on it or kind of teased that concept back in like the late 70s mm-hmm. with Green Lantern. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but that's that's way way out of sorry we're nerd about. alert yeah. sorry we're coming back <laughs> bad. but anyway of course yeah Green, Grim Reaper uh, incredibly racist and Mbaku was like <laughs> yes. I can't we can't we can't like I'm evil too but I'm I guess we're, we're different kinds of evil Isn't that on crazy? this one <laughs> that it's like even as even with the villains and and you see it with Killmonger which we don't want to give that away but Claw calls him boy mm. Mm. like you 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 see that that there's this undercurrent of Man, you're going to get racism anywhere. <laughs> you know, you yeah. get ostracized anywhere. You get marginalized everywhere. And so to see that Manape leaves Grim Reaper and to see that Killmonger in the film kills Claw, you know, and I think there's some, 
there's some animus in there because he looks down on him. Mm. Yeah, boy. Yeah, you uh, go ahead. You gonna be rich, boy. Well, I don't really care about the money, man. Like you're good for it. Like it's whatever because they're they're motivated by something deeper that the villains, the white villains, the Euro villains can't understand. Right. They're playing a different game altogether. Yeah. I think Umbaku, man, what's his art going to be? So he's going to be an Infinity War. And I said this, you know, it's it's interesting because I said this before I pegged this. You can go back to my Twitter feed. And I said, this is a spoiler. Yeah, I remember Because this. you have- I remember um, that. You have Umbaku in the Infinity War trailer. Right. And you know he's going to be somewhat adversarial in Black Panther. And you have him behind T'Challa. That's a spoiler, bro. We don't want that. I feel like- Marvel just let that slip through its fingertips, you know, and just just overlook mm. that continuity. Or they just wanted you to know, maybe they knew Umbaku was going to be a hit, and maybe it's like some, you know, like reverse psychology thing. Hey, he's in Infinity War, you know, so when you see him and you <laughs> like him, he's still going to be around. But my guess is in the comics, he becomes a villain. Someone's got to turn, whether it's Nakia who okay. becomes a villain. All right, so we're going to talk about that? Yes, somebody has to turn. Mbaku's a villain. Nakia eventually becomes a villain. Someone's got to make a shift because otherwise it doesn't make any sense to have these characters all agree. Okay. You just blew the minds of people not familiar with <laughs> Nakia from the comics. They're Sorry. like, wait, wait, Lapichi's going to be a villain. Like, what? 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 Sorry about that. She becomes a villain. <laughs> In the comics. I don't, I, I don't, I would be surprised if she becomes a villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mbaku would need to be, they painted him in such a love. I mean, he's the breakout character. I mean, sure he is, but, but like, he's the surprise breakout character. He's the character. breakout character. For right. Sure. Cause yeah, nobody he's saw the breakout that. character. And, and so like, it, it almost seems like to make him a villain, it just doesn't fit, man. Like, I don't see him. I don't see him flipping. It would have to be a conviction issue. And I think, does does Marvel make the decision that Black Panther 2 doesn't have a villain? It just has opposing convictional mm. sides. And so if that's the case, Man. there might be the embodiment of a side without the villainry to where M'Baku says, no, you're wrong for this. Maybe maybe Wakanda gets colonized to an extent. Uh, okay, all right. I'm, I'm you know what I'm saying? Because don't the yeah, fault yeah. lines already exist? Sure. Like even as you, so, so we've spoken at length about um, you know, political, philosophical, religious differences between the Jabari and, and the rest of the tribes, right? But then also, if we're honest, you brought up, you know, you introduced the concept of, of, of Nakia changing, then there are some, there are some philosophical right. and political differences Definitely. There, there as well. And you that know. term would actually probably be fascinating because it's, there's love involved. And oh. so I think that term, that cut might be the deepest. Um, if she turns, but I could see, I could see them doing either one. I, the question is, will M'Baku survive Infinity War? So, so, so we've talked off mic about Infinity War's coming. Uh, people are going to die, and there have to be some, some. Oh yeah, we got some gruesome deaths. Yeah. yeah, and so you know, Wakanda's going to be fresh on everybody's mind. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does it comes out before? Like, so does is it Black Panther then Infinity War then Ant Man or does Ant Man pop out before um, Infinity War? Ant Man is after Infinity War. Okay, so so Black Panther. This is our lead in to Infinity yes. War. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we've seen from the trailers uh, of this film coming up that Wakanda is going to be it's going to be a battleground. Yeah, I don't think that's not a shield. Yeah, right. So I mean, we've seen like you know Wakandans running out uh, to to fight. 
Um, we don't necessarily know who or what yeah, yet. The, but. The, whoever the henchman of Thanos will will be. Right. And and man, somebody's got to die, bro. The, I mean, there's going to be a lot of Wakandan death. Somebody's. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of Wakandan death. I Maybe <sighs> that's, maybe seeing the death of so many Wakandan lives is what turns M'Baku. <gasps> ooh, ooh. Or, well, this might be too cheap, but it could be that M'Baku dies but then is resurrected. Yeah. Like this is the thing and with infinity war, the infinity stones and everything else, there's a lot that they can play around with. And in his resurrection, he could come back in a different way. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's changed. Right. Yeah. And so there, there could be something there, but all right. So let's, let's put infinity war aside for a second. Okay. Black Panther as a standalone franchise, like, like every, and Marvel's been for the most part, fairly good about this and that you have kind of these big epic, uh, impactful storylines that kind of trickle out throughout, but the characters themselves go on their own journeys and kind of have their own corner of the universe and are able to do that with black Panther in particular at the end of this film, the borders are open, so to speak, and they've been exposed to the world and there is a relationship that's going to exist. That's the story for the sequel, right? That's right. what's teed up. That's that's what's yes. there. Colonization, the, the threat of colonization. Now. Right. And so that internal conversation, I think, is good. But I think that that I doubt that can be represented in the form of Umbaku taking a villainous role. Like I, I still I feel like he would still be honorable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it would, yeah. it would be opposed to his movie character to not be honorable in his execution of his argument, even if he does some dirty things. But that's the thing. I don't, I, there has to be a villain in the next film. It can't yeah. just be a political argument discussion. And when you yeah. say next film, you're talking black. Panther I'm talking about two. black Panther too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe there could be, maybe you have someone like doom behind it and he's trying to create like a coup, man. And not- doom comes in you know, or Namor, someone comes in and kind of part of the reason this is part of a broader conversation. Part of the reason why we're asking these questions is because Black Panther feels very self-contained. Hmm. It feels like the story's over. And I think <laughs> it really does. It to feels its credit. Like, to its credit. as a Yes. And, and then on a flip side, it's like, it feels like we're done and it feels like we're going to get an infinity war and Wakanda might not even exist after infinity war. And so now you're just kind of like, well, I, I guess we're done, you know, or maybe Black Panther is in space or, you know, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it just, it feels like there's kind of a closing and it was a fine, it was like kind of some finality to it in a way that makes me a little uncomfortable because I want to see those characters again. And I want to see those characters within their element. Yes. Not cheapened by, you know, the tropes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think there's power in allowing the stories to get outside of the borders of Wakanda. Like what made that first movie special is exactly the way it was portrayed in, in, in and of those stories and in and of those characters kind of uh, presenting their case to one another. But I think there's something in Wakandan unity of all of these characters that we've seen with disagreements coming together to oppose an outside force, regardless of what their internal positions are. And so I think, you know, we, we've, We've geeked out. We've talked a lot about how Doom and Latveria might end up playing a part later on down the road once those characters are more secure. But there are other 
type of characters that you can kind of tee up in that way. I mean, you could have a shadowy figure in the background right. in the second one yeah. who hires somebody like Craven the Hunter or yeah, somebody oh, like Craven that. would be good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. then then you actually have this 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 concept of like, you know, Hunter, you know, the the this white hunter coming in and and you know trying to kill, capture, whatever his motives are, yeah. wow. this African king Ooh. in a uh Man. in a in a Panther costume. So there's there's a lot of like themes that you're playing around wow. with visually mm. and, and emotionally. And so they could they could push the envelope in ways that have not been done in film. And also give us a taste of perhaps what's to come in more of a doom kind of full scale invasion right. war that sort of deal. He's got to be the next big bad. He's got to be the next big bad. I think I think that it would make a lot of sense. It just depends on whether or not they could get the rights from Fox, but that's 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 a that's a diff, that's a whole other level of nerd to get into the, the background <laughs> right. of how those characters got to come Well, and 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 I have to say as we close, man, the biggest the biggest moment for Mbaku was him woofing down Agent Ross, right? <laughs> that was the biggest moment. The biggest moment was him putting the colonizer in his place. There's so much we could talk about there. We'll leave it there for now, though, because I just want to see more Winston Duke, more M'Baku. No doubt. More more of him in Wakanda, more of the Jabari. And you can hear more about Wakanda on the next episode of Once Upon a Time in Wakanda. Once Upon a Time in Wakanda is brought to you by The Witness, a black Christian collective, and produced by Pottery Studios. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the entire first season, now available at wakandapodcast.com. And keep the discussion going by following us on Twitter at wakandapodcast. Welcome back to Once Upon a Time in Wakanda. Hang on, let me say that again. I was like, in... In his own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) He can't even keep his own podcast clear. (laughs) We're going to actually use that. (laughs) He can't even speak on his own podcast. (laughs) Oh, man. Bro, that's hilarious. This episode was brought to you in part. By the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.